Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Tiana Sanchez, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you. I'm a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Southern California. I am south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about how leaders and organizations can increase employee engagement and effectiveness in 2024. And as we do that, we're going to be thinking about leadership generally, uh, but we're going to be talking about women in leadership specifically given Tiana's background and, and role in her company. And we're going to try to connect it to uh, what's called a leader character framework, uh, which really outlines some main character traits of effective leaders. Uh, I'll just introduce that really quickly. Transcendence, drive, collaboration, humanity, humility, in integrity, temperance, justice, accountability, and courage. And really all of that feeds into the overall judgment that a leader has as they go about the complexities of, of the work that they do and leading people and leading organizations. And it's really not for the faint of heart. And so I'm excited to have our broad conversation. We'll connect it back uh, to some of these points as we go. As we get started, I wanted to share Tiana's bio with everybody. Tiana Sanchez is CEO and founder of TSI LLC, a number one bestselling author, keynote speaker, and host of the Like a Real Boss podcast with 100 episodes reaching 26 countries. Tiana uh, excuse me, Tiana Sanchez International is a certified woman-owned business focused on talent leadership development. She got her start with her career at 16 with 90% female-led national franchise organization, Hot Dog on a Stick. She then became a manager there at 17, was promoted to regional manager, and welcomed the company as her first consulting client. Tiana's public and private sector corporate training client list includes Sony Pictures, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, California State University, Long Beach, among many others. She is the author of Undefeatable and Effed Up, The Upside of Failure, a woman of distinction awardee. She has completed certificate programs with American, with American Management Association and Ken Blanchard Companies. She has worked uh, and her work, excuse me, has been featured on KTLA, uh, Voyage LA, Black Hollywood Live, Women in Technology International, and on many, many podcasts. Tiana, again, it's a real pleasure to have you joining us today. Uh, as we get started, anything you would like to share by way of your personal background or personal context before we dive on into the broader conversation? You know, I think you summed it up really good in that introduction. Um, I will add that the company that I first welcomed was, was essentially the company that led me that I own a lot of the work that I do now um, to that past experience. So I was 16 working at a company, became a manager at 17 years old, and it was a predominantly female-owned organization. And at that point, once I started there, I was there about seven years, when I left, 
you couldn't tell me that I couldn't be a manager. You couldn't tell right. me that there wasn't anything that I couldn't do because I saw it. And, you know, in leadership, we often say, you can, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So that's why representation matters. And for me, I left with the idea that, hey, I can do and be anything because I saw it. And so um, that had a huge impact on where it led me. And through the through my career, you know, there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows and valleys. And, and there was a valley during the other recession and I was laid off. And it was at that second pivotal moment, decision was made, what do I want to do? And that's when I really started TSI LLC. And so this is our 13th year in business. And I am uh, proud to say that we've, that we've handled a lot and, and we're here today. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and conversation because I have a lot to say on this topic of leadership, um, not only from a female perspective, but just in general, because I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. So yeah. I'm here to talk about it all. Yeah, wonderful. Well, why don't we dig into that a little bit? Uh, you, you've already alluded to it, but really, how did you get into this leadership and organizational development space? Uh, I, I'm really glad that you early on had those experiences where you where you saw um, women, women of color, you saw people who were in roles that you could aspire to, you saw yourself as someone who could take on those types of roles. That's that's pretty amazing, uh, especially for a very young person, you know, to feel that empowered uh, and to feel that capable. Um, so that's wonderful. But that's not the circumstance of everybody. A lot of people uh, spend a lot of years kind of dealing with imposter syndrome, try, you know, not really seeing themselves in in a future, you know, that, you know, maybe they, they think other people are capable of, but not them. Um, how did all of that then, along with the inflection point of, of the, the, uh, the economic downturn, how did that influence how you got involved with leadership and organizational development? Well, I had an opportunity. So I was obviously employed, and this could be anywhere, whether you're in school, whether you have a job, there's opportunities to learn and grow right where you are. And where I was, was at a financial institution. I had been there maybe four years, and I had an opportunity to take on a, a higher role. It wasn't a promotion necessarily, but it was additional responsibility that if done right, could groom me for future advancement. So I said, sure, yeah, I'll take I'll take advantage of that opportunity. So I was tasked with providing updates to the board. And it started off as simple as that. And through my presentation, everyone really loved it. They said, oh my gosh, this is really good. She's just a great you know, presenter. Let's give her additional tasks and responsibilities. Let's see what else she's capable of. And that led to career advancement and promotion and working more importantly, John, alongside the CEO. Up until that point, I had never had a close relationship with anyone at that C-suite level, mm. but it was working in that financial, at that company, given the opportunity, I took advantage of leaning into that relationship, asking questions, being a sponge, observing, listening. Um, and the, the beauty and the, and the crazy part is I learned all of that. It was also the same company that I was fired from. Okay. So in that, in that interesting kind of dichotomy where I learned a lot, it was great at one point, and then being on the heels of being let go, I still took all of that with me. It wasn't bad blood or anything. I still took everything that I learned with me. So right where you are, there are opportunities that you can tap into if you're willing to. 
Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And it can be challenging, especially if you're not particularly happy with where you're at, if there's frustration, if, if, if uh, you know, you have a relationship with coworkers or a boss that's not ideal, it can be hard to take on that mindset that you just described of just like leaning into the situation that you're in, your personal context and finding, you know, making the best out of it, you know, taking the, those lemons, making lemonade, whatever cliche you want to use. But the reality is, um, you know, I felt it too, like any situation I've been in, the really great ones, the not so great ones, the horrible ones, there's been real opportunities for me to contribute and to learn and grow, uh, even when and perhaps particularly when it was uncomfortable. Uh, and yeah. so that doesn't I'm not advocating for someone to stick around in a toxic work environment or to stick around with a boss uh, who's horrible or whatever, you can look for options. But, you know, if you're looking for other opportunities, take the chance to to grow and shine where you're at. Um, that's only going to increase your marketability and your ability to move into new opportunities. Uh, and it, it's a really great talking point in interviews to talk about the challenges you faced, but what you did about it, and that you, you weren't just a quote unquote victim of your circumstances, but you took the reins and you tried to, to make the most of what you had, you know, in that situation. That is actually the best time to find out who you really are as a person. Your character shows up when you are in the midst of conflict and chaos. I'll say that again. Your character shows up when you're in the midst of conflict and chaos and things and anything that goes wrong. One of the things that I do as an executive coach for leaders, usually director level and above. And I had a client once that was all gung-ho about taking off, you know, on the coaching services, but the timing wasn't right. They were getting ready to hit a very busy season. There was going to be a lot of work. It was going to be chaotic. It was going to be crazy. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, when things are going well is not when you need to, to gauge how effective you are as a leader. It's when things are going crazy and there's chaos and there's a little bit of uncomfortability where you show up what you're really made of. And it was very difficult for me to kind of sell that and in most cases, a lot of people, because this happened more than once, John, where I had to, yeah. oh, we're ready, but not right now. Oh, we're ready, but let's visit it in three months. And I said, if you're not ready now, then you're never going to be ready. Situation and circumstance are never going to be perfect for you to say, yep, I'm ready to do this. Yep, I'm ready to take on being a leader. Yep, I'm ready for that promotion. It is in the midst of when things are going crazy, how you problem solve. What kind of decisions do you make? Um, how do you hold yourself and your team accountable? How are you really going to recover from failure and mistakes? Because guess what? They're going to happen. And so it's through the, those conflict and chaos and craziness that you actually show up. And that's the character that you have. And that, I believe, is worth gold. And that, that's something that we all yeah. need. So if you're going through something right now, this is the best time for you to really see how you're going to show up. Yeah, how you're going to show up in the difficult times, like you said, is really the key. Uh, and so... You know, traits like courage, integrity, humility, right? These these are key. And there are many people who look like great leaders in times of success, in times, you know, where everyone's high on the hog. Uh, but when you when push really comes to shove, when you're faced with those ethical dilemmas, when you're faced with um, conflicting priorities, that's where your true values and priorities, you know, come forward for better or for worse. And so, like, I think of the pandemic and we had some really fantastic examples of 
transformational leaders during the pandemic who just shined. That opportunity gave them the chance to really just demonstrate how amazing they were. I think of Arden in uh, New Zealand, for example, uh, at the time, the, the youngest prime minister, I believe, in the history of the country, uh, who led them through not only the pandemic, but through mass shootings, through a whole variety of social upheaval uh, and challenges related to the pandemic, right? But pretty much everyone help, holds her up as a prime example of someone who just really got it and really led with humility, with integrity, uh, and shined in that moment. And many corporate examples as well. Um, unfortunately, we have just as many, if not more examples of people who did not shine in that moment, uh, people who were driven by fear, uh, who were driven by greed, people who who um, didn't maintain the, the integrity and the, and the values that perhaps they had espoused, but they didn't live up to it. It, it. it really is a spotlight when you find yourselves in those moments. And hopefully, we're in a situation where we, we're disciplined enough, where we're prepared enough, we've thought through uh, our values enough that we can hold true to, you know, what really what we desire, what our aspirations are. Nobody's perfect. We're all going to fall short. Um, but, you know, if we're clear eyed about what we're trying to do and, and we're collaborative with those around us and we try to, um, you know, work through the hard things together, uh, it's amazing the types of things you can do and, and you really can come out on top. I'll also say like many of the, the great examples during the pandemic or during the, the financial crisis of 2008, you know, the bad examples, lots of them, we talk about them all the time, but the, the good examples you know, really, these were people that, that did not make it all about themselves. These were people who made it about their teams. These are people who made it about taking care of their people and their organizations. And there was a humility about what these people were trying to do that I think was fundamental and foundational to what led to their leadership success. And that's in those challenging, hard situations. It's it's fascinating that I that I see the shift of the character traits that we once said and told everyone who needed to be a great leader, this is what you need to have, this is what you need to embody, looks different. Like I've never seen the word like justice, which is I think in, in the framework, um, certain terms, certain certain words, humility, or even caring about someone. These are These are words and traits that years ago we didn't really emphasize they were yeah. always they there was an undertone but it was never it was never really advertised as something in fact these were those characteristics were traits of women and mm -hmm. women in leadership were told we don't need that we don't we don't want that emotional connection here in the workplace leave all that stuff that fluffy woo woo somewhere else don't bring that into the workplace because it's business it's not personal but we forget that people are persons we're humans and so there's been this this shift that says no we do need to care about our employees we do need to be humble we do need to seek justice in these in these things so i'm, I'm gonna go back if we and i don't know if any of your students john were born during 9 11 but during 9 11 um, there was an organization that decided to stop business. Okay. Can't quite remember the name of it, but I want to say it was in the book, Primal Leadership. There's another great book on leadership about emotional intelligence with Richard Boyatzis. 
um, and there's a there's two other authors. But in the very beginning of this book, the authors share this story. And so there's a C CEO of this company that was actually not in New York at the time, it was in Connecticut. And the day following the attacks um, on 9-11, this the CEO says, you know what? Everyone showed up, they came, came to work. I think it was like either the day after or a few days later, came to work ready to work because they knew they had clients to serve and they wanted to do that. And the CEO said, you know what? We're not gonna do business today. So he canceled work for his employees, brought them all in a room together and just had a conversation and they were able to express their feelings and talk about what that meant. And remember, they are not in New York, but they are in Connecticut. They're, they were in a you know close by city. And for the entire day, they talked, they laughed, they cried, they shared stories, they talked about their feelings. And I wanna say the, the end result of that is they measured this company's like revenue or progress the company became a very successful, fruitful, productive organization on the heels of a horrendous event that happened, yeah. on, which is 9-11. I say all that to say, have you ever heard of that story? Like, like do we ever talk about this, this, this company, the CEO who demonstrated such a, a, um, an other-centered, caring, selfless act for his employees? But like you said, we will highlight and talk about the bad leaders but we seldom look at the the good leaders that did make an impact make a difference and let's take those characteristic traits and let's let's lead and embody those and so it's just it's a, it was a great picture and i never forget that example of that and really it's that four letter word it's care we need to care and what branches out of care for me are a lot of other traits but it's that central idea of Let's care about each other. Let's treat each other as people, as humans. Yeah. Treat people as people, human beings, treat them with dignity and respect. This is not rocket science, but right. uh, so, so often, so often it gets lost, right? And just the hecticness, the busyness, the complexity of work and running organizations and leading, it's hard, you know, and, and I get well-intentioned people um, often, you know, fall short. Uh, and again, no, you know, I don't think anyone expects leaders to be perfect, um, but, you know, we do expect you to, you know, be honest and transparent and straightforward and to communicate and to seek help when you need it. And like some of these types of things and many, many of those components are a little bit contrary to what many people held up as the epitome of leadership, like strength and leadership from, say, decades ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, when you think of the caricature of a leader in that context, it, it largely is quite different than what we often hold up today as the great leaders. And what you just described, one of the reasons why we don't often talk about stories like that is in part because they're not seeking the, the, the praise. They're not seeking um, the attention. Um, they're quietly going about doing things that are in the benefit of their people, right? And and those are the types of things that just don't tend to get covered as much because it's not as I don't know as I don't. It, it, we're in a we're in a hyper you know attention seeking world where you know rage you know fuels everything, and so we tend to spend so much time and attention on other things, not the nice things, not the the caring things, not the things that really show us how we can better. Um, serve those around us and, and be better leaders. 
Um, all of this, I think, leads really well into what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today, uh, and that is around how to increase employee engagement and effectiveness in the workplace, especially in 2024. We're in a day and an age of AI and automation and, you know, lots of fears around that. Like, what does the future of work look like? What, what is my job going to look like? What type of career will I have in the future? Lots of concerns around all of this. And all of this is happening, again, while we have terribly low employee engagement rates, Gallup puts out their state of the workplace report um, probably every year, if not every couple years. Uh, and they're in 2022, in the 2022 report, it was employee engagement was at 21%. And if I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and look at the report, but I think actively disengaged employees was something like 65% in that report, which is insane. So these aren't people that just aren't engaged. They're just kind of going through the motions, like actively disengaged people who don't like their job, don't want to be there, are looking for the next thing. That's hard, man. If, if you're, if I'm running an organization and, and, you know, two thirds of my employees don't want to be there. They don't know how they're connecting with the work that we're doing. They're not happy. They're not satisfied. They're not engaged. That's going to make it really tough for me to be a good leader. Uh, and unfortunately, this is a fairly consistent thing over time. And it's fairly consistent around the world. Like we, we see active disengagement levels that are really high around the world and low engagement levels. So with that in mind as the context, what do we do about it? Like how, as a leader, can I help my people know that I value them, that I care for them, that I want them to be successful? And how can I utilize that to help increase engagement and effectiveness of my people? So there has been a slight increase in engagement. So it actually went up 2% since that report. So they had an another report so the revised version is we went up from 21% to 23%. Okay. So that's a, a very, that's good. It still, is low. Good. still very low, still very low. Uh, but you know, let's, let's give, let's give credit where credit is due. And so there's, there's been that slight shift and it ebbs and flows. Um, like I mentioned earlier and, and engagement today, I will say what, what it takes to engage someone today may not be true 10 years from now, just like sure. how we approach management and managing people is not does not mirror what it took to manage 20 years ago especially when i was 17 years as well so yeah. take this with not a grain of salt but use it for the times that we are in today one of the primary engagement factors for employees and this has been true year over year um, i would say one of them is being able to connect with the company's vision and mission meaning that there's a cause that I believe in. And this kind of started, I remember looking at research, I want to say a couple of years ago, like when the millennials started to kind of enter into the workforce, um, they believed more in causes than anything else. It was like really high on their list. Over the last three years, we've seen kind of a shift where we want our employer to not only have a cause, believe in their vision and mission, but be an ethical organization, be mm -hmm. for justice, um, you know, making sure there's no discriminatory, unethical practices, like and holding them to the fire with that. Um, there's also, when you look at a lot of the, the elements of, of disengagement, it comes from not, again, that four-letter word, not being cared about, not receiving recognition, praise, access, um, being given feedback. And, and, and I use that F word as a different F word, but, but feedback is essential. Um, when you have annual performance reviews, what does that do for the employee if there's not these 
these check-ins that are happening throughout the year? How are they going to be able to improve or, or receive that positive feedback throughout the year and just wait to, you know, once a year? It's important to have those, those touch points and those check-ins. Humanize the work environment. It shouldn't just be about work. You're spending 40 hours, more than half of your time in a work environment, there should be some personalization to it. There should be that that element weaved into our business. And oftentimes- Can I, can I just highlight too? Yeah. Well, 40 hours if you're lucky, right? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. like we're, we're spending the vast majority of our waking hours at work. That's just the reality, especially yeah. in the US where we just lurk, work longer hours than in many other parts of the world. And so- just to, to reiterate your point, right? Like if, if we're spending that much of our waking hours in a place trying to accomplish something with a group of people, like let's think creatively about how we can make that the best it can be. Yes, it is. You said earlier, it's really not rocket science. What happens when, let's think about this for a moment. How and when do people get promoted into management roles? Because this ties into disengagement. There have been a study, and this study remains to this day, that most people leave their their um, their bosses and not their jobs. They leave yeah. people. They don't necessarily not enjoy the work. It's the person that they report to that makes work intolerable and that their only choice they believe is I'm going to leave, right? And so when you look at it from, from, from that lens, there was a study, again, a Gallup study, is that 82% of managers are miscast. So if you think of what it takes to promote someone, which is two reasons, either seniority in a role or experience in a non-managerial position. So you have someone where we're telling you that skill has no part into you being a manager, whereas I can look at a surgeon, I can look at an attorney, I can look at a pilot in those fields there has to be some legwork done, you know, like hours upon hours, studying upon study before you get into a role. So you have, let's say, miscast managers, leaders in roles. Now you've given them the keys to the kingdom and you've said, we want you to manage people. How do you do that? If Have you taken a class on psychology, psychiatry, human behavior? How do you know what it takes to manage a group of differing generations, differing people that are coming to work with a whole bunch of things going on. You're telling them, drop all of that. So when you come to work, you just show up here. That are taking care of their mother, their grandmother, their children. They're going through divorce, all of these other elements. And so now, again, you see that, that, that engagement piece starting to, you know, again, we see this, the slight increase. But it's the human side of our business where people feel, I don't feel connected not only to the vision and a mission, but I don't feel connected to you as my boss, as my leader, as, a, as an organization. You're not praising me. You're not, you're, not, you're not acknowledging the work. I don't feel valued. Valued is another word we might come back to. But these mm -hmm. are all reasons and contributing factors while people feel disengaged. And now with AI, with all of these layoffs, we had Dropbox had layoffs. We had SiriusXM had layoffs last year. And one of the CEOs said the reason for that was because of the AI era. So now not only are we telling you we may not value you, but you're less important to us than artificial intelligence in some cases. What does that say? And of course, that's not true for everyone, John. But what is that telling people? Oh, well, I'd rather not work for you. Let me go work for someone else. Or the actively disengage while I'm here, 
I'm just going to clock in, clock out, and, you know, I'm going to start stirring the pot a little bit, spread some rumors, <laughs> and start making up stuff. Yeah, because, you know, I'm actively disengaged, and I don't care. So that's where we're ending up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm probably dating myself with this reference, but you, you were talking, probably. But, but you were talking about how, you know, oftentimes uh, individuals are promoted to leadership roles without any leadership training whatsoever. Um, they were really good in a functional role. Um, but, but they don't know how to lead people. And so you'll have coders who's, you know, the best coder now becomes the manager of all the coders. Does being a great coder translate into being a great manager? Probably not. I mean, you might get lucky and they might end up being a good manager and a good leader, but you know, it's, it's a total, um, crapshoot, right? You don't, you don't know because they have no experience with it. And in the example is, you know, a uh, a TV example, I think of Michael Scott from The Office. So anyone who's watched this show, you know, he's like the epitome of the Peter principle, people who are promoted to their level of incompetence. So Michael Scott is like the best salesperson. So he gets promoted to office manager and he's the worst. Like, and it's, it's comically horrible. And that's why the show works, right? It's, 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 he's kind of a sympathetic, lovable character. Who's just a doofus and doesn't know what he's doing. And he's terrible. Um, and he's just fumbling through everything, right? And that's the cautionary tale that we see in so many organizations, people who just don't have the skill set. And, and so organizations often are looking for the wrong thing, promoting the wrong people into positions of leadership. Uh, and then once that happens, it can really set the tone for the whole team. Uh, you mentioned, you know, how people leave because of, of a bad boss. I mean, people will stay at a pretty crummy job if they work with good people and they have a good boss, people will leave a pretty great organization with a really good job if they have a terrible boss and, and bad coworkers. And so those relationships really matter. And the leader who's running that team of people, um, you know, you can't, you can't underemphasize the importance of just the skill set um, connected to that, which is different than the technical skill sets that are required you know, to be successful in a functional role that maybe the person had been in before. All right. I'm noting the time, Tiana. Um, and I do want to give students some time to ask some questions. So before we do that, though, I just want to ask one more question. Do you have any specific tips for success for leaders in 2024, given the current context, the current challenges that we're facing? Well, one of the things that the tip that I would do is evaluate where your engagement levels are for your organization. So the numbers that we gave you, the 21, 23% are, you know, global. I think one of them is United States. There's some numbers that are global, but what does it look like? Make it, bring it into your world. What does it look like for you at your organization? And one of the ways you can do that is administer an engagement survey or like an, an audit of your organization. It's something that we actually help organizations do. And you, you can identify if there are problems within your organization and pinpoint specifically where that gap is so that you can address them. I will, I will um, caution you that once you ask, you better be prepared to do something, okay? Because yes. you open that door, don't not, do not not do anything, okay, with that information that people give you. So certainly, that is that is one of the strongest tips is let's 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 bring it into your world and then identify what those areas if they exist are and then the you know do something about it okay i would also say keep 
when we think of this evolution of AI, I would I would I would also ask our leaders to um, to integrate. It's it shouldn't be a replacement. It should be an integration of how are we going to integrate our employees by utilizing some of these tools that are going to help us be more efficient. I'm going to tell you right now, I love ChatGPT. I use it when I'm like having a, a block of some sort. How can we integrate that? And as a leader, you have to be thinking um, about how critical thinking and decision-making and creative problem-solving, is that something you really want to leave in the hands of um, automation? You know, there is a reason why we have people brainstorming and having meetings and focus groups and things like that. So I would say you look at that as an integration and always be open to learning something new as a leader. Because again, 20 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this AI conversation. 20 years from now into the future, leadership may be looking different because we'll have a whole, we'll have, was it Zennials? I don't even know who's next, but there's all these Gen Alphas that are coming in. So be open-minded in that, don't feel like I've reached the pinnacle of leadership because the pinnacle, according to John Maxwell, is people follow you because of who you are, which is your character. And this is under his kind of, um, I think it's the yeah. five levels of leadership. So always be looking at where am I as a leader and evaluating that, getting feedback and knowing that that may look different 10, 20 years from now. Yeah, wonderful. Tiana, before we go into Q&A, just thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your insights, taking time out of your busy day and schedule to meet with me, to have this conversation. Um, there are so far three really great questions in the chat. So I'm going to start with the first one and work my way down. Okay. Um, the first question from Jade, what is your biggest advice for students who are about to complete their education and begin their careers? Jade, thank you for your question. Um, I love it answering questions with questions, but I don't know if you can reply. I would ask, have you considered looking at um, some experiential work, like, in, you know, internships or things where you can have hands-on tangible learning opportunities? Um, again, I'm making the assumption that maybe you haven't, or maybe they've been limited. Um, I love the fact that employers now, and it's something brand new, that they are beginning to recruit more non-degreed employees nothing wrong with education. I think all of you here are going through that. I love that people that have had, that have experience are being given, are not being excluded for not having a degree. You will have a degree certificate of some sort. Can you couple that with experience? Because it's the experience that you get that is going to help tell your future employer as you go through your career, Jade, that not only do I have theoretical knowledge, because I studied it and I got a degree, but I have experiential knowledge because I worked with a company for six months, for 18 months, and I did this, that, and the other. So if you're at the beginning of your career, make sure that you're able to get some experiential learning through internships, through volunteer work, through something that you can add on to your resume. And I just want to reiterate that. Um, one of the things I really you know, I'm proud of about what we do here at the university and in our programs is that we do a lot of experiential education. We do a lot of class-based projects. 
uh, working with organizations, getting consulting experiences, getting the hands-on experiences. And so I would just echo what Tiana said, Jade, if you haven't had the chance, seek out some of those opportunities because there are many. Uh, in addition to internships, lots of classes that will give you that opportunity to develop a skill set that's not just the theoretical understanding and theoretical knowledge, but the applied capabilities that are going to help you be successful. And I think ultimately that's what organizations want. They want people who can come and contribute. Um, and the more you can demonstrate that, uh, the better. And I um, will then, add before oh, your next question yeah. that I was able to give someone an opportunity who was an intern with my company while she was going to school and her undergrad and also became a partner working with me, helping me develop content um, to where her name was on certain things and it helped her while she was going to Columbia. So I not only say that to you, but I believe in it and I have done it. So I just want to add that in there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Next question comes from Michael. He says, how do you feel about feedback? Should it be filtered up or should anyone be able to give feedback about things all the way up to the C-suite? Oh, such a great question. Feedback. Oh, we can talk about feedback all day long. Yes, you should give feedback. That is um, a universal um, uh, type of communication that should be done at all levels of leadership. And it's cyclical. It should happen where if I'm an employee, I should be able to give um, feedback to a peer, to even my boss. It looks different. Um, it may sound different, but you should be able to provide feedback at all levels of leadership, um, Michael. Depending on how your organization is, is set up, um, and I would say, do they have a culture where feedback is welcomed, permitted, invited, solicited, okay? Some people misinterpret feedback, again, as I'm trying to tell you what's wrong with you. Like, we only give feedback when something's wrong. We have to shift that and make sure you're giving feed forward, right, when things are going well. Hey, you did delivered a fantastic presentation. I want to, you know, I like your, your preparation, the planning, the timing was good. I look forward to your next presentation. That's feedback. Do we often give that? It usually sounds very critical, right? You didn't do something. And so then we use the sandwich method. Say something good, say the bad thing, say something good, right? So it should be part of an organizational uh, a culture. Now, when it gets up to the C-suite, Michael, because you said, what does that look like? Ideally, the board would be, let's say like the board, there's an advisory board or board of directors would be that group that would perhaps pour into the C, because that's who they report to. But if I'm underneath the CEO, I should also feel okay providing some insight in the form of feedback to my CEO. And if I'm a good CEO, if I'm a great CEO, I'm going to welcome that because as a great CEO, I know that I don't have all the answers. And I know that being a strong CEO, as you said earlier, means knowing my weaknesses and where mistakes I may be um I may have uh, an, uh, making mistakes and I need someone to help me. I need to reduce my exposure to risk and I need someone there to tell me that because I don't have eyes and ears everywhere and I may have blind spots. A great CEO will welcome that. I find that if it's not in the culture, Michael, if it is not um, welcomed, permitted, solicited, it is often um, not seen well and then you have conflict you have trust issues and trust being a big part of a lot of leadership um, and organizational workplaces, it can become a very intolerable work environment and it, it can be ugly. But when it's done well, it looks really good. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. You should be creating an environment uh, that's psychologically safe where people can provide feedback. Um, they can provide input. They can question. They can challenge. They can provide positive feedback, right? We Where you have all of it. Um, and it's it's the secure, mature, strong leaders who create that environment and welcome, openly welcome the feedback. It's the insecure leaders uh, who who see that as a threat, right? And unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders who who end up that way. And it's unfortunate because they're really, they're not helping themselves, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Um, because especially in this day and age, we thrive on and we crave transparency and open communication. And part of that is just that feedback uh, component that it can really go both ways, right? At all times. Yeah. Um, another question from Bridger, what are some of the most influential or important character traits you have identified in yourself or other leaders that brought about the most change in an organization? Oh, that's a wonderful, um, wonderful question. Um, I have one of my, the companies that I've worked with, I'll, I'll remove myself, but I'll, I'll talk about it, a company that I worked with um, and have gotten a really close relationship with one of their, their C-suites. I interviewed her actually on my, on my podcast. She was probably one of the first 10 people that I interviewed and she's still at the organization. Um, her, she's a unique person. Her ability to, it's not, a, it's not about being an optimistic person, but her ability to take a situation, she evaluates it. Um, she, I, be, I believe, makes really good decisions for the greater good of the organization. There have been some, I talked about ups and downs, ebbs and flows in this one particular organization to the point where it came to a head whether or not I believe she was going to remain in that organization or not. One of the, the factors that kept her there was the people. She said, in this, you know, I, if, if, if I remove myself, who's going to take care of the people? Who's going to be here advocating for the employees? Who's going to be here um, you know, doing the good work that, that, that they do and kind of taking charge in that. And that trait that she has, again, is not only that care, it was a level of humility, which I, which I know is on, that, is on the framework. Um, it was an others-centered, I like to say it's an others-centered attitude. And maybe that's a character trait that we need to really think about. We may call it selflessness. Um, mm -hmm. It's really others-centered. It's not me. It's not ego-driven. It's not how high am I going to get ahead? How far am I going to get in my career? And there's nothing wrong with ambition. It is truly serving. It's that servant leadership kind of mindset. Um, but I still, and to this day, I, I think we're, we're, we've developed a friendship, but I, I admire her and I truly look as her as a model for how other leaders not only communicate, um, how they see their perspective, their, their um, you know, the way that they look at their decision-making, you know, through that particular lens. She's one um, example, one story of someone over the last, I would say, 13 years since we've been in business that sticks out in my mind. Um, but I'm sure there are others, you know, I, I, I would say others that I've encountered that embody different characteristic uh, traits of leaders. Yeah, thank you, Tiana. This has just been a really great conversation. I really appreciate the wonderful questions uh, that were posed. Um, this has been a great interaction. Uh, as we wrap things up, I wanted to give Tiana an opportunity to share with 
all of the audience, how they can connect with her, find out more about her work, where they can find her podcast, her book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yes. So I would love to connect with all of you, whether you're watching this, re-watching this, um, you can um, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's my jam. That's where I always am giving tips and, and all of that wonderful stuff. Or you can follow me on uh, tianasanchez.com, which is my website. You'll see books, you'll see all that wonderful stuff as well. And you can access the podcast, Like a Real Boss. There's some really great episodes on there. I have some favorites. DM me. I'll tell you which ones are my favorite, which ones you want to start with. Um, this uh, conversation, I want you to think when you're done here, you turn this off and you go about your day. I want you to find the one thing that stood out to you because that's the thing that maybe whether you're internally wrestling with or maybe you have some questions about your own career, your job that you're working at or something. And I want you just to explore and think, think through some questions and think about how can I begin to sh make some small shifts to apply some of these tips or techniques that were shared today. And it's just one slight shift. It may be changing the way you think about leadership character. It may be change the way you think about your boss. Um, change the, the way you approach your career choices. And so that would be one thing that I would, I would invite you to do. I would challenge you to do following this, um, our conversation today, because uh, I know it's a lot. So just take that one thing <laughs> and uh, begin to explore how that can um, make a difference in your life today. Yeah, well said. Tiana, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for My the pleasure. great conversation. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.